Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. This is Amy Pons, and I'm here today with Molly Moore. Molly Moore is a formidable healthcare nerd. She has over 25 years experience working in various parts of healthcare in the United States. She has held roles in physician practices at health plans, running employer benefits for a large union, worked in healthcare venture capital. She's in the early stages of starting her second company, Bramble. She has a passion creating a more sustainable, accessible healthcare system. Yes. She is a mom and plays roller derby. We've got to talk about with it. She lives in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> Molly, welcome. Hi. I'm super happy to be here. Awesome. For those who can't see it, Molly has this amazing background wall. If you ever want to see this, like set up a call with her, it's, it's pretty incredible. So tell us about the wall real quick. Remind me. So I was going to do this sort of large mosaic wall behind me. And so I had blue painter's tape up on the wall and I got on a FaceTime call with my mom one day. She's like, oh, that's such a pretty background. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to fill it in with all these colors. And she was like, yeah, maybe not. (laughs) She's like, no, don't do that. She was like, no, don't do that. You're going to regret it. So what I did was just trace it in black. So I, it's a little bit like laser beams it's a little bit like the cracked mirror of regret by me. I don't know. It's it's fun. It sort of set the tone for my my office, but I am excited to have a single use room in my house that is my office only. And it is very nice to be able to come in here and just have it undisturbed during the day, which was different than a couple of years ago when we were all working out of our living rooms and kitchen tables and things like that. So, well, it's awesome. It's thank you. Amazing. So good job. So Molly, tell me what moves are you excited to be making? Or in other words, what are you reforming? What's happening? So at the end of January, I started as CEO of Bramble. We co-founded the company coming out of Hash Health in Nashville. And the idea is a very healthcare specific sort of utility play in that if you ever go to the doctor And they're like, they need to refer you to another doctor. And they're like, you need to check whether this doctor is in network or out of network. And it's like a very difficult situation for patients to navigate. It's a very difficult situation for providers to navigate. And our hope is that we can actually build pretty tight networks based on those referring physicians. So if you have a primary care physician and they, you know, are responsible for your care, then they would be like, hey, we know you, we know where to send you that's in network. And so we really want to enable that really nice, smooth transition. So people are never caught off guard with out of network fees and things like that, but also letting the referring physician know, hey, here's who's of high quality. Here's who's in network for this patient that you're taking care of. And so that's, that's sort of the goal of Bramble. There's a bunch of other nerdy economic stuff underneath the surface, but from a patient perspective, it's really about smoothing out that journey for you and making sure that you get really high quality care and that there are no sort of barriers to you getting that care. So financial or language or otherwise. Okay. So you are building a seamless high-touch referral system to mitigate and network-specific any barriers for a person to get the care that they need. Yep. From the other side, from the economic side, 
there's something happening in healthcare called value-based healthcare payments. Medicare is sort of leading the way in doing this value-based payment sort of methodology. And it essentially pays physicians for outcome, not productivity. And today they're paid on productivity, which is why when you go to the doctor, they spend eight minutes or less with you. And then if your thing is too complicated, they refer you on or they give you a test or something to that effect. And they do this because they're sort of required by how they're compensated to really push as many people through as possible. And it doesn't, it's just how healthcare works. They sort of have to maximize their time in that way in order to make the economic model of their practice work. But it's moving away from that because everybody has sort of looked at that model and went, hey, that's maybe the wrong economic incentive for physicians. Why don't we give them payment, extra payment for the outcomes of the people that they take care of, as well as potentially actually watching how much it costs in total to take care of this patient. So if you do a really good job making sure that your person stays healthy, let's say they're diabetic, they get their retina exams, they are managing their blood glucose level, they're doing all the right stuff, then you as a physician would get a bonus payment. And one of the things that we're doing in Bramble is really enabling more physicians to do a good job under that new sort of fee structure. And so I'm very into sort of behavioral economics and economic incentives. And right now in healthcare, we really don't have like super great economic incentives all the way around. The best economic incentive that's like pulling at everything is that there's a lot of incentive for everything to stay exactly the same. And I don't care for that. It's a bad system. It keeps getting worse, uh, especially for patients, especially for patients without means, especially for women, people of color, you name it. It's not getting better for anybody, but really, really large players in this space who are very highly incentivized because they're publicly traded companies to keep everything exactly the same and right on track. And I'm here to make that just slightly harder for them. You know, one of the things that comes up for me as you think, as you explain like the, this awesome thing you're trying to do is on the patient side, like taking the economics out and the, you know, the, the barriers to get healthcare. One of the things I'm always shocked about is that let's say, let's say I have a team of doctors and I actually do, I have an allergist, I have a dermatologist and I have a primary care physician. And let me know if this is something that you're not able to speak to, but seemingly they don't talk to each other about my overarching Amy as a patient. What is the best for her? So like even beyond Hopefully they're looking at medicine interactions, you know, so that there's not conflicting things there and that would harm me. But also once you take into account, because I also have a psychiatrist, you know, that I have antidepressant meds to me, like there needs to be like a sense of community also about the care. Yep. And tell me if that's outside your wheelhouse, like, but I'm just, that comes up for me. So frustrating. I know. So there's two sort of things at play here. One, the sort of idea or the movement I think in the future that will happen is that your primary care physician should sort of be the quarterback of all your care. Yes. They should be the person that you have a good working relationship with. They know what your home life is like. They can sort of take the time to get to know you and understand all of this and coordinate all this other stuff. Right now, Primary care physicians are completely underwater. They are 
the most, in my opinion, underpaid specialty sort of in all of medicine. And I'm sure that somebody will have comments on that, but mm. welcome all feedback with love and grace. Yeah. Or like side eye. Um, so, <laughs> so they, in the future under sort of this advanced primary care model and these sort of value-based arrangements idea would be that your primary care physician would be compensated fairly for playing that role for you. This discombobulation or discoordination of care is leading to sort of this idea that we should have this portable medical record and patients really want to have control of their medical record. Well, no, in all the patients that I've talked to, what they want is that coordination to happen so that the physicians are talking to one another. I personally can tell you, I do not want to bear the burden of carrying my medical records in whatever form they're in from one doctor to another. I just want them to talk to one another. I want them to know what's happening when I arrive. Now, that could be because I am mad about the lack of coordination, but that's really what I think the patient experience that people really want to have happen. I think that is where most people recognize that it sort of needs to go. I think what it does is it puts primary care physicians who have been middle tier sort of physicians on the compensation structure and is going to sort of bump them up, which is going to ruin economic models of practices, of hospitals, of all this kind of stuff. Because what happens is if you give a primary care physician time, they can take care of 90% of what ails you, right? So if you're going through a bout of depression, they can sit and talk with you about the results of your PHQ-9, which is an, a really quick evaluation that's used to determine if you have depression. They can prescribe depression medication, but they have to have the time to sit with you to do it. And really what is thought process around advanced primary care models are is that somebody can actually sit with you and take the time and address all of that stuff sort of in one room. So there's less things to coordinate because this one person can actually do that. Same with endocrinology, because if your diabetes is under control or in a place where it can be well-managed, that should be really something that a primary care physician with time to spend with you can do. And so I'm happy to talk about that. I think that is how primary care models should work. It's a little bit of back to the future, right? Because your family physician used to be your family physician. They used to know you. They sometimes even came to your house. And there are models like that out there that are you're able to take care of a whole family or a a person who has multiple needs. And you just honestly need time and money to do that. And our healthcare system is not set up to pay physicians to do that. Is there anyone working on how to upgrade those models to include? Yeah. So there's this lovely movement and I will say it's a movement. I think they would call themselves a movement or the rebel Alliance called direct primary care. And it's essentially you pay your physician a monthly fee and it's sort of all you can use primary care. And I'm a huge fan of this model. It's been around for a while, but it's picking up steam as primary care physicians sort of get burnt out in this productivity compensation model and move to having wanting to have a little bit more control over their lives. And I've worked with direct primary care physicians uh, since 2013 and they're lovely and all they want to do is take care of people and more and more are sort of joining their ranks and big fan of that movement. There's hybrids of that movement. So 
one medical group, which was just acquired by Amazon, has this type of model. It's a hybrid model. So there's like a monthly fee that gets paid. The physicians spend more time with you, but they also bill your health insurance under this productivity model to sort of help offset the expenses of running this practice that doesn't have really high productivity. But there's lots of types of practices that are popping up. In Seattle, we have something called Kinwell and Forward. Oak Tree is another one. But where this really works well and where they're proving these models out is in senior care and doing a really good job of taking care of patients under that Medicare or Medicare Advantage plans. That is my full healthcare nerdiness just just on display for you today. This is is beautiful because this is the conversation that I think many people don't get the advantage to, we we don't have these on a daily basis. So this is exactly what we're here to do in moves. So don't make that face. It's awesome. (laughs) One more question, and then I'm going to move on to the next bigger question. So you mentioned Amazon's kind of stepping in. Are corporations starting to step in to be able to fund these ideas because you mentioned because because otherwise we know whether it be education healthcare there's a lot of pockets of really important work in let's keep it to united states that do have underfunding so we know where the money is which is the corporations so they're stepping in so you're you're happy about this nope sort of (laughs) so one of the reasons okay i'm happy that they're stepping in yeah. I think the incentive for them to step in is really selfish. So, man, I'm going to make is, I'm I'm salty today. Is uh, it a good PR move? It's a no. So it's a bottom line move. Here's what's happening. Let's be um, spicy. Let's yeah. let's just do it. So my red hair is just like fully on fire this morning. So the let's go. Amazon.com employs hundreds of thousands of people. They offer great healthcare coverage to their people. This coverage is a massive expense on their P&L. Mm-hmm. It is for every large corporation who does a good job taking care of their people. It is a huge expense. And so the reason that corporations are stepping in is because they're watching this expense line trend faster than any other expense line on their P&L. And so they're like, wow, in order to attract and retain employees, I am going to have to invest in this really robust healthcare coverage. This healthcare coverage, they generally purchase using their own dollars. So large corporations actually fund their own claims out of their own pocket. And this is started to happen like maybe 15 years ago where really large corporations just started to acknowledge that they had big enough balance sheets that they really didn't need that health insurance company to take on the risk they could do it themselves. So they started to do that and they went fruit. And so they they got this a big lift in their P&L because now they were taking on the risk and some of the administrations, it was costing them a lot less, but they have no way to sort of mitigate those costs for themselves because they aren't healthcare. Most companies aren't healthcare people. And so they're like watching this, say you're a car manufacturer, you know, all about parts and steel and lean manufacturing and all of that type of stuff. Your core competency is not to understand and control your healthcare costs. And so now corporations are stepping in because this line item of their healthcare benefits keeps creeping up year over year. And what they have done for 
uh, I'm going to say the last 20 years is they sort of has shoved this down to their employee level where you pay more and more each year for worse and worse coverage through your employer to the tune of, hey, I have a $4,000 deductible on my health plan that I pay 300 bucks a month for for my family because the other 70% is fronted by my employer. And so your employer is paying, let's say, $1,000 a month to cover your family. And so they pay, you know, all told, your premium is $12,000 a year. You still have to kick in $4,000 out of pocket. Like what? That's the stellar coverage that you're using to attract and retain employees. And that's increasing at double digits per year. So cost of steel, massive escalation with inflation, et cetera. Healthcare costs, psh, leaves that in the dust as far as the trend line. So the reason that employers and large corporations are getting into it is purely selfish because they're watching healthcare costs impact their bottom line. So they want to get involved to not only get a piece of the pie, but also have a write-off. Yes. Also because their profits go up if they can actually do a good job controlling costs. So the other thing is also see uh, people's productivity increase. They come to work more frequently if you can keep them healthy. So there's this sort of dual bottom line. Large employer groups, Amazon is one. Amazon's different. They're going to make a real business out of it. It's going to be a thing. There are all sorts of other employer groups. JP Morgan is one, and I can't totally figure this one out. JP Morgan, Morgan Health, if you're listening, they are making some pretty cool moves in sort of buying the tools to set up really robust and sort of own the whole healthcare continuum for their employees. So if you remember Amazon, Morgan Health and Berkshire Hathaway, they all got together and they were going to make this thing called Haven. And it was going to be run by like the biggest thought leaders in all of the kingdom about healthcare. And it didn't work and it crumbled. And then they all went off and did separate things but that all benefited them in on bought one medical group and they're going to do pharmacy stuff with pill pack and they're just going to create this sort of whole healthcare continuum. And then Morgan Health went on and bought a company, which is local to Seattle, which I know is called Vera Whole Health, which is primary care physician offices. And then they went and bought a transparency directory company called Castlight and they have mashed these up into now one company. And so now what you have is a bunch of primary care clinics and sort of specialty referral directory, which is awesome. They're going to be able to help their people navigate this world that you're navigating. And they're doing this at Walmart setting up clinics. I'm not even going to talk about them as a shining example. of. Well, no. So (laughs) if I may, it seems like kind of moot that they're starting for selfish reasons, because what I'm hearing you say is ultimately it's actually going to help the, the primary care physicians get their salaries beefed up, ultimately helps the, the patients like you and me yep. at the end of the day. So actually it's, are you so salty about it? <laughs> if we talk through it? I, I know I'm not, I'm not super mad. I love healthcare innovation. I love disruption. Yeah. And so and these models are not like a great reason. It's no. like, actually it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's actually okay. I I really, the thing that scares me is once you have corporations doing these big corporate moves, they start to consolidate under those corporate umbrellas and consolidation doesn't lead to sort of fair consumerism. So if you have Amazon, United Healthcare, JP Morgan and Aetna CVS sort of running the healthcare show, 
that's what I, that's where I'm like, "Mm, like maybe not. The thing that I need to keep in mind and that I need to remind myself of is that as long as people continue to disrupt and sort of change the way that the economics and everything are, are playing out, we're still evolving, I think, in a direction that's sort of good because it's still evolving. But I think that if you, because there are giant incumbents in healthcare that are loaded with cash that can fend off this type of disruption and innovation. And so my excitement around Amazon getting into it and JP Morgan getting into it, they have loads of cash to essentially say like, hey, this is now impacting your inability to make reforms in this space is impacting my bottom line. And now we're in it. And so now, now you aren't just dealing with incumbents in healthcare, you're dealing with incumbents in finance and incumbents in retail. And that piece I'm not mad about because I don't think anybody has the money to compete with an Optum or United Healthcare or a CVS Aetna in in the healthcare space. I think it is going to have to come from the outside because you need to have the war chest. And especially those who are feeling it for themselves and their employees. And it's hard to get the people they're looking for because it's gone to shit, if I may. I think we just came up with the title of this episode, which is, uh, and tell me if I'm correct, disrupt to evolve, not to monopolize. Yes. Yes, please. All of that. Awesome. Okay. All right. So on to the second question, which I love the robust conversation. This is exactly, this is fascinating. So I'm going to, and I didn't tell Molly about this beforehand. So this will be fun to give her a little bit of a surprise. So there was a post I want to talk about that you made two months ago, and it seems to be in response to a, a first circuit decision on April 25th. So here's what Molly wrote. Employer plan sponsors are responsible for understanding the costs of their health plan network and mitigating those costs. This ruling simply says that lowering the provider rates is not the health plan health plan's job as it runs contrary to how the health plan makes money, which is dot, 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 accurate. Understanding the cost of your network before you buy a network is now on the shoulders of employers. The downstream impacts of this are going to be, in Molly's honest opinion, which is still IMHO, which is awesome. Employer number one, employers asking more questions about cost of care, and number two, healthcare plans or networks needing to provide answers, and number three, employers need to be willing to make change away from traditional health plans to control and curb cost trends. I am excited about the impact of brave employers who are willing to press on their payer partners and be willing to move new, to new solutions if they don't get satisfactory answers. Is this directly what we've been talking about, or is this something different? This is, remember how I was like, hey, this impacts their P&L. This is why they're yes. paying attention to this now. So this ruling, so there was a piece of legislation that said, hey, employers, you are now responsible for asking your consultants, brokers who help advise employers on what benefits to purchase and who to use to purchase those benefits, et cetera. Um, Real quickly, who is that? Like, who is an example of a consultant broker? Mercer, Willis Towers, Watson, Aon, they help large employers sort of navigate the waters of healthcare. They're like advisors. You use maybe Charles Schwab for your 401k. They use, uh, they help them sort of navigate this. They are compensated often by health plans and it's blind to the employer. So the Consolidated Appropriations Appropriations Act says, hey, you need to ask and they need to tell you how they're compensated today. What it also says is you are now Bob Jones 
Betty Jones, Amanda, whoever on the board of this company are now personally on the hook for how these dollars are spent. And so somebody sued and lost. And the reason they sued the health plan, I think it was Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. They lost the suit because the judge ruled that it is not in the best interest of the health plan to curb the healthcare costs because that's how they make their money. And so they could not basically run contrary to their own fiscal benefit because they have shareholders to do the job that the employer should be doing. And so what this means is, is that this company that was buying healthcare and health insurance from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts was sort of pushing on their payers to say like, you need to curb costs and basically sued them because they weren't doing it. So the health plan turned around and said like, hey, that's not on us, according to this law. And this lawsuit sort of firmed that up. And so now if you want to curb your healthcare costs as an employer, it's on you. And if you don't do a good job, you can be sued by your own employees and be personally liable. You are now going to have to pay out me if I sued you because I thought you did a bad job managing my healthcare premium dollars. And, and it's really on you to do that. And so what is going to happen, excuse me, me as the employee, I can, as an employee, sue you, the fiduciary that sits, makes the decisions about my health plan because I pay, I pay, right. My 30% of the premium I pay because you didn't do a good job managing that. And maybe you didn't do a good job because you're your broker wasn't disclosing that they were receiving a 5% commission off of everything that they sold through the blue plan, the blue plan that isn't doing a good job managing your own healthcare costs. And so what's going to happen now is employers are going to have to do a little bit more diligence on what the best options for them are from a financial perspective when they go to buy healthcare coverage. And so I'm excited about this because I'm building a network product and it behooves my business. However, what I'm more excited about is that the time of complacency for employers who are just sort of going along with it is over. And employers who are spending millions of dollars a year, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, they're going to now need to look at what they're spending those dollars on and basically evaluating that spend, reevaluating how they spend that money and who they use to sort of vendor out those costs. And so what I think we will find is that employers, as they're either impacted by lawsuits or sort of kicked in the rear end by a number of other things, potentially just medical cost trend is way out of control, or they've seen their employer premiums jump 25% year over year they're going to actually have to uh, address that in a very direct way. The sort of downside of that is that often leads to network disruption, which leads to disruption in care for their employees, which is not something that they ever want to do. And so when I talk about brave employers, it's really about, hey, are you willing to do the hard work to sort of look at where your spend is coming in, either through the carrier or the network you buy? And are you willing to help move your employees to a new, more cost-effective care or, you know, insurance solution because employees are change is hard just in general. And you sort of have to manage this massive change process through your employees. So I'm excited about it, but also like kind of nervous because it is pretty disruptive for patients, but also it's, it's about freaking time. 
it's good for the long run. However, it could cause some churn up front. And yeah. uh, one last question on that. It's like the employee benefits team. Yeah, it's the employee benefits team. HR people, I feel, are like overworked and underpaid and they're yeah. just... I just, everything, everything falls under HR, right? Everything falls under HR, but this is really going to be a CFO type decision. And so I think that you will see HR and benefits departments sort of leading the way, making recommendations, but ultimately it's on the CFO to pull the trigger on the spend. And so that's who inside is really going to be focused. Not Not the CHRO, the CFO. I think the CHRO and the CFO, but again, this is a PL fee. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. this is, so and it's a big health to CHRO. Listen, you're going to have to deal with the whole lot of this, but I'm making this decision. That's a, that's a big one. So that'll be interesting to, to watch. Thank you, Molly. That's fascinating. Yeah. I just have to give props to a woman named Chris Deacon, who's just like managing this and like putting this in my feed every day. She's a massive advocate and a lawyer and waded through the whole decision to f- pull out these sort of nuggets that I get to repost about, but it's, um, I think it'll be really, really interesting. Shout out Chris Deacon. Yep. One last question for this segment. So what would you Molly, like the supporters of your work, but also the adversaries of your work to know? So this, <laughs> the supporters of my work, I oh, thank you very much. Fun to you. Yeah, fund me. It's hard being a woman founder. Women founders receive about 2.5% of venture capital funding. I am going to raise capital here pretty soon. And so advocates of, if you like sort of my philosophy and what you're hearing, I am starting a company to help fix some of that. So advocates, I need need your money and your support and your connections and all the things. Can they go somewhere now to donate? there's no donation. I'm going to be a for-profit entity. And so you can reach out if if you want. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Molly Moore. I look like me. I have glasses in my uh, formidable healthcare nerd is my tagline. When someone hears this and says, yes, I want to fund Molly, they know exactly how to get a hold of you. And then for my adversaries, I play roller derby and don't back down super easily. And so more power to you. Tell me I can't do it and I will. I'm really working to make changes and I really think that it's possible. I worked in healthcare for 25 years. It is always changing. There are always, takes so much time to make meaningful change in healthcare just moves real slow. I mean, we still fax referrals for crying out loud in this industry. So I know mm-hmm. do you know how many Real times as the, as the patient, I've had to follow up with the office. Six, Did you seven, get the fax? Times. Did you get the fax? And they're like, no, I didn't get a fax. And you know, what's fascinating is it's all within the same hospital care. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, can y'all shoot an email? Do you have an internal email account <laughs> that you just shoot one over to the dermatologist and say, Amy needs this, that, that period, you know, interoperability is the thing we've been talking about for at least a decade. And it's still clearly we're yeah. working on it. I really, truly believe that we can get to a place where it's a sustainable healthcare system that everybody can get access, but it just is going to take a while to get there. And people are going to have to work really hard in order to make the changes. And if there is one thing that a firstborn child knows how to do is uh, work really hard. And so that's what I'll be doing. So in addition, in terms of adversaries, you're doing work toward the greater good. You're doing work for humanity. Why would someone be adverse to your work? I honestly, like for a long time, I'm not going to be threatening to anybody that I want to threaten because I'm going to be so small, but eventually my company will get traction and we'll start to look threatening in providing people with high quality networks and 
better, more sustainable economic models for physicians and for patients and for employers and health plans who are trying to offer new and innovative models. And I think that at that point, it'll start to to pop up on somebody's radar and they'll be unhappy that I exist. What you're creating, you're creating an incredible, for those of us who have been in product and digital and marketing and corporations, Molly is here to disrupt, to improve the user experience. Yeah. And to make it more affordable. So just let it happen. (laughs) Hey, hey, Molly, fund her. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So one last time, Molly, where to find you? BrambleHealth.com is the sweet little website. You can email me. It's coming directly to my email because it's a small company. And then on LinkedIn, you can just reach out to me. So reach out to Molly, BrambleHealth.com or through LinkedIn. That'll be in the show notes and in my postings. Molly, any last closing remark or advice that you would provide either to just in general personal life or to your healthcare peers, whomever, what would you like to say? Thank you for listening. And I would ask that you please be a good advocate for yourself and healthcare situations. Ask questions, be involved. Why is it this way? The more patients can advocate for themselves, typically the better the outcomes are for you. And if you can't, there are lots of really rad people who will help you do that. So please be great advocates for yourself. The only way that this is going to change is that everybody works together and says no thank you to how this is currently going. Thanks, Amy. 